General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Of course, that was the iconic symbol of communism's failure. It was always pointed to as an example of what was wrong with Soviet-style communism. It had, to build, it had to build a wall to keep people in, because if they, if they didn't build a wall to keep people in, people were just going to want to come over into the free West and uh, live their lives. And I have to say, it was an apt symbol of communism. And people will debate forever why uh, the wall came down. And, you know, there's lots of lots of factors that play into this, of course. We've, we've got the military buildup under Reagan, uh, forces the Soviet Union into spending, which helps to lead them to bankruptcy. The command economy of the Soviet Union was couldn't lead to the kind of standard of living that the West was experiencing. You had Mikhail Gorbachev, who comes allowing new freedoms, which kind of whet the appetite of people for something more. And of course, as we've discussed on this program often, the uh, remarkable common goal of John Paul II and Ronald Reagan, with right now to kind of commemorate the collapse of the Berlin Wall and to remind us of some of the factors which go beyond purely secular view of history. He's Dr. Paul Kengor. He's professor of political science at Grove City College and the author of over a dozen books, including A Pope, A President, John Paul II, uh, Ronald Reagan, and the Extraordinary Untold Story of the 20th Century. He's also co-author of The Divine Plan, which is a, a book which accompanies a movie by the same name. And I had it right before me here on my desk. There, there, there it is. And Paul's written that with Robert Orlando, who's director of the documentary The Divine Plan. Paul, good to have you back here. Thanks. Hey, thanks, Al. Good to be with you. I'm so glad you're talking about this. I can remember it because I, I was on the air uh, while this was going on. And I can remember at the time, having my personally having a, a, a strong sense of how important this moment was. It was the end of the Cold War. And, but at the same time, recognizing that America wasn't doing a whole lot of celebrating about it. Uh, we were kind of accepting it rather quietly. And I'm still waiting for America to celebrate <laughs> in some overt way our, our um, victory in the Cold War here. But uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, no, really. We, yeah, I think we've forgotten about it, right? Yeah. And in fact, that's you. This sudden interest in communism, socialism, and and millennials saying positive things about communism. Yeah. Over half of them now, right, identify as um, say they prefer socialism over right. capitalism. Right. And you know, to, to give you an idea of what we're facing, I mean, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who is the leader of this new democratic socialism wave. I mean, she's not just a member of the Democratic Party, right. she's actually a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, you know, which describes itself as, quote, the largest socialist organization in the United States, unquote. And that, at that time, Al, when you were on the air and I was a senior in college, 
in November 1989, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was four weeks old <laughs> and probably <laughs> nursing at her mother's breath yeah. about, yeah. about that time. And so for people today to wonder, don't these people remember the past? No, they don't. They don't. And yeah, and if they were educated in our universities, then, then I'm telling you, you and I have talked about this for decades. We've been worried about this for such yep. a long time. Yep. If the only thing that they learn about the Cold War is that there was this real bad stuff going on called McCarthyism, right? That you know, the, the, the kind of the bad Joe in the Cold War, Cold War rivalry wasn't Joe Stalin, but Joe McCarthy. And, and in fact, one poll that was done by the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation finds that one-third of millennials, and 28% of all Americans believe that George W. Bush killed more people than Joseph Stalin. That's and, stunning. Yeah. Yep, you yep. just one, go one crazy. One-third of millennials, yep, 28% of all Americans, all Americans, all ages, believe George W. Bush killed more people than Joe Stalin. Now, Stalin, according to Alexander Yakovlev, killed upwards of 60 to 70 million people. Yeah. The lowest numbers. On Stalin's death, or twenty to twenty-five. Yeah, that's twenty to tw and that's what I've seen. Yeah. Not do that. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. It's so it's amazing the loss of uh, historical understanding here. We're not passing along a tradition any longer, um, and this is uh, I think this is really a problem. Uh, and I also I I've pointed out before too that it it was interesting growing up in the nineteen fifties and sixties when. There was basically the United States as the harbinger of freedom in a religious country. It was largely understood as heavily Christian versus the Soviet Union, an explicitly atheistic country indoctrinating their young people into atheism. Uh, we were the people of freedom. They were the people of totalitarian regimes. And, and I think baby boomers grew up with a sense that it is God is important. He makes a difference in uh, the overall structure of life. Freedom is good. It's associated with God, associated with the Christian faith. Atheism is bad. It's associated with totalitarianism. Um, but that, that understanding that I think many baby boomers grew up with as part of their, you know, um, it, it, which actually came to them and stuck with them after the 1960s, I think I think that's entirely lost these days on the next generation, and I'm very frustrated by it. Yeah, yeah. It, well, and in fact, and it was bipartisan too, Al. Right? I mean, John F. Kennedy. Oh, yes. Who was a Democrat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he warned in in his inaugural address, which you know, we just remember, "Ask not what for." That that line. Right. But he warned in that address about our 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 atheistic foe, yeah. and what what he called the 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 fury. Of atheistic, godless Soviet communism. Yep. So you know that that kind of language was was bipartisan. If Donald Trump said anything like that today, in fact, in in Donald Trump's State of the Union speech, I think it was the last one, maybe the one before, he simply had two lines where he said that he was worried about the rise in socialism in America, and that America will not be a socialist country, and he was attacked by that. And the New York Times and Washington Post is <sighs> if he's calling for a resurrection of the House Committee and Un-American Activities or something, right? Yeah. It, 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 but that's, that's kind of where we are today. We, we, we need to now educate an entire generation, a couple of generations who have been uh, miseducated, 
they've they've been they've been indoctrinated what they've been taught, and you know, just, just what you're saying at the very beginning of, of of our interview about the the Berlin Wall, the, the the communists had to had to build a wall to keep people from escaping. Right. I mean, think about that. That's you, you know, I didn't have the yeah. You know, I didn't have the right to speech, press, assembly, and religion. You didn't have the right to escape. <laughs> right. You didn't have the right to forget emigrate. You didn't have the right to escape. And, and in, in fact, about 100,000 people, we estimate, from 1959 to 99, have tried to swim from, from Cuba to Florida. Wow. I mean, that, you know, that's versus zero, right, Americans who've tried, tried to swim to, to Cuba. <sighs> uh, the, the Berlin Wall, Cap Weinberger, Ronald Reagan's Secretary of Defense, told me, he said, he, I'll never forget this interview, Al. He said, look, I'm not going to be around much longer. You're going to be around longer than me. I want you to do me a favor. Every time you talk about the Berlin Wall, ask your audience this question. In which direction did the East German guards patrolling that wall, in which direction did they point their guns? Yeah. And yeah. the answer was east right. on their own people. Right. He, he said, you're talking to a former secretary of defense. Usually build walls as barricades to keep right. the enemy from invading. This was done to keep their own people from escaping. Yeah. And they would shoot them. They put barbed wire at the top. They they had landmines all along the side of. It. I mean, that's that that's how awful this was. And so the idea today by anybody in America that they could say anything positive about communism, um, people listening, if any of you are from Eastern Europe, uh, Poland, former East Germany, yeah. Czechoslovakia, any of those countries. Please go out and do your part and, and, and remind people and try to teach this generation you know, what it was, that, that the nightmare that you lived under. Right. Uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, he's often pointed to as uh, uh, the one who helped bring down the wall, and he certainly played an important role. How did Mikhail Gorbachev understand uh, the collapse of Soviet communism? What role did Poland yeah, play in this? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I give Gorbachev a lot of credit, and, sure. and I, I did in you know my book, A Pope and a President, I did a book on what Ronald Reagan did to defeat Soviet communism. That book was called The Crusader. It was published in 2006. Right. And a lot of conservatives said, wow, you give Gorbachev a lot of credit. Yeah, I, I, I think he deserves credit. But one thing that's really, really important, Al, is that when it came to the Berlin Wall, Mikhail Gorbachev wanted to keep it up. And, and, and he told that to Margaret Thatcher. He told that to Ronald Reagan. And, and for people having a hard time assimilating this, it, it, it makes some sense in that the last time there was a unified Germany, it invaded the Soviet Union. Yeah. So, yeah. so Gorbachev saw the Berlin Wall as a way to keep Germany down, yeah. which, which, which he favored, which is why, think, think about the words here, why, it's why Ronald Reagan went to the Brandenburg Gate and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because Gorbachev was the guy who had the power to let it be torn down, and he wasn't doing it. And yet, in, in the kind of height of ironies here, when, when the Nobel Peace Prize Committee met and decided to give the, the Nobel Peace Prize to Gorbachev and not Ronald Reagan, <laughs> they, acknowledged, they acknowledged the fall of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. In there, yeah, and, and and you know that just probably says more about the Nobel Committee than than anything else, <laughs> right? But uh, yeah, I'd say the most important people in that Ronald Reagan, John Paul II, Lech Walesa, the Solidarity Movement, 
Vaclav Havel, his Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia, mm-hmm. and, and also people pushing Gorbachev, like Boris Yeltsin, yeah. who, who do, doesn't get a, enough credit. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say it was several people, you know, several influences that, that really took it down. Did, what did Gorbachev think about John Paul II? Yeah, he, he loved him. He was really impressed by him. And, and when he met with him at the Vatican, it was 89 or 90, and he was, he in fact, he introduced him to his wife, Riazo, with a big grin. And he said, Riazo, I want you to meet the leader of the world's Christians, and he's a Slav, just like us. <laughs> and, they, and they both smiled, they beamed. And, and Gorbachev actually referred, or, or John Paul II, John Paul II actually referred to Gorbachev as the providential man. Yeah. So yeah. he and Reagan both believed that Gorbachev had a had a role in this divine plan yeah. to, to take down the Soviet communists. Paul, can you stay with me another segment? Sure. Good. Dr. Paul Kengor, my guest. Bringing the wisdom of Catholic tradition to bear on today's issues. You're listening to Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Paul Kengor. We've been taking a look through the fall of the Berlin Wall, and we are talking about its cause, the cause of the fall. We're also talking about the significance of the fall. We're talking about the personalities that played an important role in the collapse of Soviet-style communism. And Mikhail Gorbachev, when did he realize that... I mean, he chose not to use the kind of force the, the Chinese communists did in Tiananmen Square. When did he decide that he had lost control of the Eastern Bloc nations? Yeah, it's a good point. And Tiananmen Square was June of 89. Yeah. It was just a few months before that. In fact, I believe it was on the day that Poland held free and fair elections for the parliament in Poland. That was Tiananmen Square. Wow. So really? So it, it was those events from June of 89 through November of 89 that convinced him, as well as the fact that at, at one point the, the East German guards simply let people through. And you know, a, a lot of this goes to Austria and Hungary and them allow them opening the gate there wasn't you know a physical gate or a wall, but allowing free passage right. of people mm-hmm. from the from the Soviet bloc, Eastern Europe, through Hungary and then through Austria. So at some point, the wall just simply no longer really became necessary, and people started gathering there that week. You know, this week, 30 years ago, 1989, and at one point. They, the the guard one of the guards simply said you know what I, I'm I'm letting I'm letting them through yeah. I'm not arresting anyone I'm not shooting anyone and and you know, and that was it and to Gorbachev's credit right he didn't send right. in the, he didn't send in the tanks right. he didn't right. start firing bullets and, you know, that might sound like you know, <laughs> well well why should we give somebody credit for not shooting people right and right yeah I, I get that and that's true but but you know, Stalin would have, Lenin right. would have, other leaders would have. Oh, there have been there have been so uprisings. Uh, yeah, there have been uprisings before, and the Soviets put put them down. That's right, and so that showed what John Paul II and Ronald Reagan understood as, as the humanity of Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah, um, we've talked often about John Paul II and uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, and. Um, it's always I think it's always important to go back and, and retell that the story of that relationship uh, because 
if if we don't, um, it will get lost as among all the other details that are so important in the collapse of Soviet communism. How did they know one another? What did they think of one another? Sure. Yeah. So they, well, they they while Reagan was attracted to you know the possibilities of what John Paul II represented. When he, when he first saw footage of John Paul II's return to Poland in June 1979. And, you know, that, that to Reagan, Reagan, Reagan was sitting in his, in his home in California, and I've actually talked to Richard D. Allen, who was, who was Reagan's closest advisor. He was with him there on that date, and, and they were watching footage of John Paul II's return to, to Poland at that point. And Ronald Reagan said to said to Richard V. Allen, he, he said, he said, Dick, that's it, that's it. The Pope is the key. The Pope is the key. The Pope is the key. We've got to we got to find a way to get elected, and reach out to this this new Polish Pope and the Vatican and make them an ally. Well, <laughs> yeah, this was again. This was before the 1980 election. So, so that's right. That's so, right. So yeah, it, yeah. So the, then the election in November of 1980. And Ronald Reagan, at that point, you know, figuring out a way to <laughs> to get elected, as he said, that's no easy thing to do. But in but in November of 1980, he won 44 out of 50 states. Yeah. <laughs> against, against Jimmy Carter, an incumbent, and defeated him. The, the, it was about 51 to 41 percent was the was the vote, the overall popular vote. Wow. And for, and so from there on, he had to figure out. I mean, right away, he, he wanted to figure out a way to get together with John Paul II. And Dick Allen, Richard D. Allen, actually told us for this documentary film, The Divine Plan, we interviewed him for it. He said that he recalls December of 1980 and being at a reception at the White House where you had new people, diplomats, ambassadors, potential ambassadors, to you're meeting the president-elect. And Alan said that he was at the end of a very long line where he was standing next to a, a priest by the name of Pio Laghi. And, and Pio Laghi would go on to become the apostolic delegate to the United States, the papal nuncio, mm-hmm. which would make him the first ambassador to the United States once Ronald Reagan recognized the Vatican, as he did in 1984. Yeah. And, and Alan told us, he, he said, when I met Laghi in that line, I knew right away. I knew right away we had a home run because <laughs> this guy was very interested in what we were doing. Told us that the Holy Father John Paul II wanted to meet with us, and you know he went on. He would become a very important conduit between the White House and the Vatican, yeah. with with specifically Bill Clark at the National Security Council and Bill Casey at the CIA. Wow. Um. How did the assassination attempts on their lives uh, draw them even closer together? Yeah, and so they, they had wanted to get together from the very beginning. So Reagan Reagan was sworn in January 20th, 1981, and Reagan right away wanted wanted to get together with with the Holy Father, but Reagan was Reagan was shot on March 30th, 1981, and you know that kind of got in the way. And then John Paul II was shot May thirteenth, nineteen eighty one. So, so right there, they they each spent several months recovering. Reagan recovered fairly quickly. So did John Paul II. But then for, for Reagan, he had other legislative priorities that, that got in the way. He was kind of really kind of stuck at home working on a tax cut, which that was signed at the Reagan Ranch August nineteen eighty one. 
And then the solidarity movement, martial law was declared in Poland in December 13th, 1981. And that really drew Ronald Reagan and John Paul II together because they were both just furious at at what had happened, what the Soviets did with martial law in Poland. So they continued to try to figure out a way to get together. And then finally, at the Vatican, June 1982, they got together, and, and it was there they confided to one another their mutual conviction, their belief that God had spared their lives for a special purpose, which, mm. which they believed was to work together to defeat atheistic Soviet communists. Yeah, that's unbelievable. That's just so beautiful uh, to see that and uh, to see, you know, the, the wall come down. Uh, by that time, Reagan had, lived, had gone through his two terms. Um, did we know what Reagan said subsequent to the wall coming down? Did he ever address it yeah, publicly? In, in fact, I was thinking of that when, in the last segment when you talked about how the United States didn't really celebrate the, the wall coming down. Yeah. And, you know, Ronald Reagan at that point was in California. He was retired, and you know, there was no celebration, no gloating. And, in fact, Ronald Reagan and, and John Paul II got together at the Vatican. Well, not at the Vatican, but at Castle Gandolfo in September of 1990. And for Reagan, that's when he took a little bit of, of a victory tour to the different Eastern European countries. He was post-president at that point, visited the Berlin Wall, mm. actually got a small hammer and knocked off a chip of the Berlin <laughs> Wall for, for himself. Yeah. And, and he and the Holy Father met at Castle Gandolfo. Nancy Reagan told me about this meeting. It was, it was just the three of them, Nancy, Ronald Reagan, and John Paul II. And, and there they talked about what happened. They, they, you know, they, they expressed joy in, in what had happened. But, but there was no press conference. You know, there was no you know, break out the cigars, break out the right. champagne glasses, you know, bring in the press, get a picture of the two fellows that took down the Soviets. <laughs> I mean, nothing at all. They both very quietly and humbly. Bill Clark used to tell me of, of, of Ronald Reagan, he used to say, there was no pride there at all, Paul. No pride there at all. Hmm. And and the same thing with John Paul II. And there was no pride on display among those two at that moment. They just they just quietly got together, reflected on the great events that happened, and then moved on. And and really, Al, after that, I mean, they never saw one another again after that meeting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I mean, they they were aware that in many ways they were. Um, they were aware of how big the forces were uh, that were operating, um, and I, 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 I'm sure they both were aware it was even much greater than both of them. And uh, but it, it is right. in, interesting that they did not exploit it at all. It's amazing. No, and I mean they truly had a sense that that they were serving the will of God. Right. Yeah, you know, they called it Reagan. Reagan called it the DP. <laughs> the divine plan. Yeah, he actually had a short, a short acronym. You know, such was his sense, maybe his Presbyterian sense, right? Al of of, of divine yeah. providence, yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of God in control. And of course, the Holy Father thought that way. John Paul II thought that way. A lot of people figure, well, a Pope might think that way, but maybe not a president, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but they both shared that strong conviction that that they were instruments of God. In fact, Reagan and Bill Clark. Clark was Catholic. Clark told me that, that they used to they used to pray together the peace prayer of Saint Francis. Mm. 
you know, Lord, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Wow. So, so they, you know, they had that guiding sense. And when you have that sense and then the events that happen, such as the shootings, their survivals of the attempted assassination, they both could have bled to death. Altogether, you know, that, that was a pretty potent force. Yeah, yeah. I, as you know, I, I traveled to Poland, and while there I took time to read uh, John Paul II's addresses uh, when he went there the first time in 1979, when he returned. Oh, they're great. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. What, I, yeah. what I found interesting is how, um, how he didn't spend his time uh, doing apologetics against the Soviet Union, he spent his time reminding the Polish people of who they were and what their right. identity was in Christ. And um, he, he, he clearly knew that this was more politically significant than actually, uh, you know, going on the attack against the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In fact, the, in that entire nine-day trip in June 1979, I think the only time he really said anything that you could see as sort of political— his first speech in, in Victory Square, June 2nd, and he said there that there can be no just Europe without the independence of Poland marked yeah. on its map. Yeah. And, I mean, that was huge. I mean, that was that was a really big deal. But but, but other than that, I mean, most most of it was, as you said, spreading the gospel, you know, uh, trying to inspire. In fact, I guess another way, another phrase that that one might say was partly political, but not Really not, because he's just preaching the gospel. But the when he reminded them to be not afraid, right? And, and so telling them to be not afraid, obviously that's about expressing their faith. That's about following Christ, yeah. which which they were already doing. They were yeah. trying to express their faith. But he's also reminding them with the, you know, those the, those words are throughout the New Testament, including the the angel Gabriel saying that to, to Mary at the Annunciation, "Be not afraid, right. Mary." And yeah. so for him to, this Marian Pope, for him to tell that to his people, he was telling them also, be not afraid of those men literally standing around you right now with guns. Exactly. That's right. It, be, be, not, be not afraid of communism. Yeah. And, and, and so in and a you way, are, he, he, And you are not yeah. who they say you are. <laughs> right. Yeah. You That's are right. who Christ That's says right. you are. Yeah. That's right. You're not superstitious idiots. You are not... Uh, you're not smoking the opiate of the masses, as right. Marx and Lenin said, right? You, know, yep. you are not, as Lenin said, worship uh, all um, all worship of a divinity is a necrophilia, yeah. right? <laughs> That's sick. That kind of hateful language about yeah. the religious. No, he was there to, to edify them, enlighten them, re- redeem, redeem their faith. Yeah. Paul, thanks so much. We'll talk again soon. All right. Okay. Thanks, Al. Dr. Paul Kengor, again, the uh, book, The Divine Plan, is available, and uh, it's an accompanying volume for the movie. I'm Al Cresta.